Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Some of Chicago's selective enrollment high schools rank among the nation's best, but not everyone gets the privilege to attend. Some parents and kids feel applying to a selective enrollment high school feels more stressful than applying to college. The numbers tend to reflect that. Last year, 26,000 students applied to Chicago's 11 selective enrollment high schools, and less than 5,000 made the cut. Our next guest has done his homework on this subject. Nate Petrini is executive director of High Jump. It's a Chicago nonprofit offering academic enrichment and support to talented middle schoolers from lower economic backgrounds. He's also a former CPS principal and teacher, and we'll hear from some of you on this issue. This school year brings changes to the admissions process, changes Chicago public schools say promote equity and access. And Nate has all the facts. So traditionally, the way that you think about it is that there's three different uh, pathways that you can take. And unlike the suburbs, about 80 percent of Chicago public school students do not attend their neighborhood school. Right. So that leaves about 20 percent who stay within their neighborhood school. So the other 80 percent take one of the other two pathways. And one is a test in high school. These what we call selective enrollment high schools uh, that are very selective and very much like getting into college as you just Mm -hmm. rightly pointed out. And then the other option are what we call choice schools, and they are not exactly as they would seem in that you can just get into an open lottery. They have all different kinds of admissions criteria. Some are truly open lottery, but just like college, you really got to do your homework and think about um, what's going to work for you, what's going to be a good fit, and what's going to be a good match. So it's a little wild to do when you're 14 years old. It sure is, Nate. My family just moved to Chicago earlier this year, and I got to tell you, this gave me my first Chicago headache, this process. Yeah. It's, uh, it's confusing that to keep track uh, of all the test dates and the requirements. Sure. My child was coming from an out-of-state school system, so that was rough. I'm just hoping that these changes are going to help relieve some of that struggle for my other child, who's currently an eighth grader and about to start this process. Yeah, well, it's supposed to be a little bit easier this year. So a couple things that are new this year that are important to know is that there are fewer steps in the process and some of the requirements that made it hard for people to complete individual school applications and the whole application, some of those have been removed. Things like uh, you can attend open houses and do interviews virtually or online. And then one of the big ones is that, you know, there are about 90 schools in the system that collect test scores uh, in order for you to get in now Every one of them will collect the same test score. There's only one test score now for the selective enrollment schools where previously kids had to submit two, one from seventh grade, one from eighth grade. Uh, But one of the big differences, especially for the selective enrollment schools uh, this year, will be that previously you had to qualify just in order to sit for the selective school exam. You had to register for it on your own, and you had to travel to take it on a Saturday. Now that test is going to be taken by every eighth grade student in the city at their home school next month. So that should uh, eliminate some of the problems of students missing the tests that they registered for. You know, surprisingly large number of students register for that exam and never take it. And so some students should qualify for and be able to apply to schools that they wouldn't have otherwise. Are you in favor of these changes, Nate? 
Oh, sure. I am in favor of them, but there are a whole lot of other uh, changes that I think need to be made. And I don't necessarily think that these are going to solve some of our our bigger system-wide problems, but I do think the process needs to be considerably easier. Unpack that. What do you mean? Oh, geez. So let's talk about (laughs) the bigger solutions, right? You know, I want to make sure that somewhere in here we talk about uh, this term good school, Uh, but if we don't talk about the disparities that actually show up in these high schools, uh, these really selective ones, we're not going to do anything about it, right? So you and I just talked about the ability to get it all done, how that's really hard, and that does need to be easier for everyone. But what would the high school application look like if it provided more access for under-resourced families? Because our most selective schools uh, do not represent the city. They are uh, predominantly, they, they can be predominantly white and affluent. Um, they also, the most selective schools, even inside those selective schools, are actually getting whiter and wealthier over time, mm-hmm. right? And so um, this process needs to be examined. If those are the outcomes that it's, it's creating, right, we need to talk about that and we need to do something to stop those disparities from continuing. Nate, let's hear from a caller who wants to join the conversation. Here's Rita in Albany Park. Hi, Rita. Welcome to Reset. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a Chicago public school teacher, and I have two students who one just graduated from a CPS high school and the other is currently enrolled. And I am really against the selective enrollment system for a lot of the reasons that Nate just described. I think there's a real stigma attached to students who do attend their neighborhood high schools. It's like they weren't good enough to get into a selective enrollment. And the fundraising that goes on internally in selective enrollment schools just widens the disparity. I think about Roosevelt High School in Albany Park, which is an awesome neighborhood school that's just been under-enrolled. And there are a lot of people in Albany Park and Ravenswood who would love to have their kids walk to school. And that's the other thing about walking to school. They're, they're students on my, my block in Albany Park who go to eight different high schools. Mm-hmm. We don't know each other. The parents don't talk to each other. They don't go to school together, and they're traveling far distances. That is really a hardship on their physical, emotional, mental health. The time and travel is really problematic, and the sense of community is lost. So many blacks like mine. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's just really a problem. Thanks for your call, Rita. Such such valid uh, concerns there, and you kind of brought up something that I've kind of been confused about myself and and my child ended up going to our neighborhood school but all of her friends live an hour plus away and have to do these massive commutes in and it's it's just so strange to me it's a system I've, i haven't used before so I'm, I'm getting accustomed to it let's uh jump to one more caller before i get back to you nate here's jesse in south shore hi jesse hi it's a couple of things i think that i've been listening to the reporting on wbz the one thing that i i would say that i haven't seen that has been addressed is the tier system and let me say i've been fortunate i had kids that have gone to selective enrollment grade schools as well as high school my daughter graduated um peyton and is, is thriving in college and she had a very good experience but with her friends and we live on the south shore with her friends and peers the thing that I noticed going in, and like I said, I have three kids um, separated, you know, first by two and then four years. And what I've noticed, I'm going to echo, so it's kind of, I'm hearing myself think. So um, what I've noticed is that the classes year over year has gotten wider and has not diversified. It's actually got homogeneous in one way. And it's kind of 
the thing that the tier system was originally designed to do when they get rid of affirmative action Mm -hmm. or they struck it down was they created a tier system that first tried to get some parity to create high-performing schools that created, created a cultural mix of people from all different socioeconomic backgrounds to come in and learn together and create community. And now that equation of which they try to establish that outside of affirmative action has slowly just been eroded. Every year I'm seeing it change and change and change to a point where Logan Square, not to disparage anybody living in the neighborhood, but I know friends that get houses that are a million dollars, they are in a tier one neighborhood. And the South Shore, which has multiple shootings every weekend, at least a half dozen or, or thereabouts, they're tier three. And that's like it's like so the numbers are aren't adding up and somewhere along the way, the equation has been moved and the bar has been moved. And and by taking the NWA, it's just another way where you're looking at, in my opinion, the disproportionate people that didn't have good Internet access through a pandemic. Now they're seventh grade grades as well as whatever they do on a high school example. Well, let's get our guests to weigh in on that, Jesse. Uh, The four different neighborhood tiers, Nate, that Chicago students get divided into. Tell us more about those. Yeah, so we're talking specifically about schools that have testing criteria and the selective enrollment schools that our our guest, Jesse, just referenced. So when they build a freshman class and consider their admissions admissions and cut scores, there are requirements that uh, what these schools do is they take the first 30% of the students go to students with just flat out the highest scores, regardless of who you are, where you came from. Uh, About 5% of the seats go to principal discretion, where the principal has a choice to extend offers to individual students based on uh, whoever they believe is deserving of it and special criteria, but then the remaining spots are divided evenly by what we call economic tier, which takes into consideration the income of the block in the neighborhood that you live in uh, in order to try and create some kind of racial and economic parity within the school. So uh, you live in a wealthier neighborhood, about 25% of the seats that remain are going to go to students from your neighborhood. Um, so 25 from tier four, 25 from tier three, yeah. tier two and tier one and on down the line. And, and uh, I believe that caller was right that that was an adjustment after it was determined that Chicago public schools couldn't use race as a determining factor. And then they, they began to use the economic tiers. But there are ways obviously to exploit that system, but also just doing the simple math, it, it will not create a cohort of students who reflect the district or the city when you have almost 80% of the students in the city are are from low-income households, you're going to end up with much higher percentage of high-income students when you have a, a distribution like that. Nate, why is the system in place? What's the argument for selective enrollment? Yeah, I mean, one of the big arguments has just been to address uh, concerns about the quality of schools, right, and to keep people in the city who would otherwise leave. Right. Um, But my big argument has been, well, then we need to create high quality neighborhood schools, right, that all kids need a high quality neighborhood school so that engaging in this application process is not about fear or rumors or and you can remove the high pressure because you have this quality school in front of you. But then as you would go through the choice process, if you have that high quality neighborhood school, you could the process could be more about who you are as a student, what makes for a good fit and a match for for you and your family. Right. But you can't do that if your neighborhood schools are you know, hemorrhaging students, under-resourced. So we could talk about that for a really long time, but mostly it's been about trying to trying to 
funnel students who have interest and motivation uh, in its original form towards schools with other kids like them to increase success metrics. And, and now the district is trying hard to revamp it to be more just about what kind of a learning experience do you want. And uh, that would be great and would be ideal, but we can't do it if the neighborhood schools aren't supported, right? Because then it just is high pressure and high stress. Nate, I want to go back to the phone lines where John is waiting in Bronzeville. Hey, John, welcome to Reset. Nate, you, you know what I'm about to say is so true. You have to be very comfortable when you start to talk about the neighborhood schools. Something that's happening under the current is neighborhood schools are becoming as elite as selective enrollment schools, and it's a very quiet thing happening. Most selective enrollment schools are in neighborhoods that look very appealing. There are some selective enrollment schools that some kids do not want to go to because of the location. We're going to have to talk about things from a much more classist point of view and not just from a sense of race and things of that sort. You have at least four high schools where they're located that are much better than the selective enrollment schools. And I'm not going to even get into the grammar schools. Uh, sit back and listen. Thank you. Thank you, John. Nate, a big part of what High Jump does is uh, you help prepare talented middle schoolers to get into top high schools both the private and CPS selective enrollment ones. Would you say that getting into one of these high schools can be life-changing? That's a great question. I mean, what HiJump seeks to do for our students is really support them with academic enrichment and uh, help ensure that they can go on to graduate college, right? The ultimate goal for us and our students is college completion. We know it leads to greater family earnings. Uh, and HiJump students actually, uh, you know, to put in a plug for us, right, We our students graduate college at a rate of 87%, which is, which is super impressive. Uh, what we do know about the schools that have higher cut scores and the schools that have higher, uh, larger number of applications is that they also uh, have a greater number of students who go on to graduate college. There have been studies on the academic impact of attending these schools, and what the studies have shown uh, from the University of Chicago is that it almost doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. You're not growing more in your actual learning at one school versus the other, but it's like the rising tide of college-going communities and the resources that are in those schools that absolutely do get you to and through college, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's a big part of what plays into the, the concern and fear is where you attend uh, what has been and is the college-going culture. So how do you prepare middle schoolers for this really competitive high school application process? And I'm asking for me, Nate. Yeah. We'll, we'll <laughs> because my kid's taking this in two weeks. Anytime and we'll talk about <laughs> it. We do one-on-one -on -one support for, uh, for folks if you need it. But, uh, but seriously, what we do is students who enroll in our program, you're committing uh, to be part of this free program the last two years. And we do 350 hours a year outside of school time uh, on academic enrichment, social-emotional development. But then we also take a class throughout the span of a year where the young people learn how to explore all the different high school options that are in front of them because there are more than 100 high schools that they can apply to. There are two different applications inside Go CPS, and they are 14 years old. So we help them think a lot about fit and match, right? So what are you looking for uh, in regards to your experience? What feels good? Uh, what matters to you? Geography. And then where can you actually get into? And then we help them investigate that 
do the applications, and we actually progress monitor it for hundreds of them. And we've been doing this for thousands of kids for, for 30 years. We have teachers who support them one-on-one -on -one when they need it, and we pull the parents into the process as well. So if you're a parent of a high jump student, you'll get give or take 12 hours of support throughout this process to ensure that you also know what's happening, you can be a partner in this process, and that no one misses out on an opportunity due to resources, time. So it's sort of like we try and ensure that we are also providing this like college counselor for you, and you're taking this college seminar, uh, but only we're doing it for high school admissions. Let's hear from Stacy, who's calling from Belmont Cragen. Hi, Stacy. Welcome to Reset. Thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to say that I'm an advocate for improving neighborhood schools so that kids can go to school in their neighborhood. Um, and that is due to my experience as an elementary school teacher at a Northside parochial school and seeing my own two children um, struggle through this process and may or may not have, you know, gotten their choices met. But um, I also see how Families with means quickly learn to adapt and sort of game the system with all their resources they have, whether it's tutoring or test prep, or perhaps even moving to a low, a higher tier neighborhood to avoid that status. So they might, their child might have a better chance of getting into their the school of choice. Yeah. Thanks, Stacy. Any thoughts there, Nate, uh, on her comments? Yeah. Yeah. So a couple. I, I, an important thing that I want to make sure we talk about today, Sasha Ann, is that. Uh, we know that during the pandemic, grades actually dropped uh, for Latinx students, for black students, more so than they did for white students, right? So just going into this application process this year, there's going to be an advantage for students. We also know, and this is one of the reasons why High Jump exists, we also know that out of school time, people can do things to enrich their child's experience and help set them up, whether intentionally or not, to get into the more competitive schools. And, and High Jump seeks to sort of, you know, Level the, level the playing field with that, with that out-of-school time stuff. And so you think about what's happened these last two years. It's going to be a lot easier on families with resources and families uh, with time to get into the more selective schools, and, and that's concerning. And so that's why I wonder, while I'm excited about some of the benefits mm -hmm. that uh, we're putting, that will come out of the changes to this year, um, I don't think that they're going to make some type of major change, just given what we know about the impact of the pandemic on families from limited economic means. Let's hear from Derek in Calumet Heights. Hey, Derek, what are your thoughts on high school admissions? Yes, yeah, so I think that the flex enrollment school process is amazing because it's one of the only ways you can get kids who don't have the opportunity or don't live in a certain location to go to a flex enrollment school that's equivalent to a private school without having to pay that tuition. So I think it's a great system. Thanks, Derek. Uh, let's hear now from Lisa, who's been waiting on the line in Irving Park. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to Reset. Oh, hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, you know, the big issue here is that basically selective schools have destabilized neighborhood schools. And that really is the overall issue, is that you're pulling the smartest, the kids who have certain skills out of their neighborhood schools and putting them in schools where they're all kind of doing the same thing. And there is a truth to the fact that parents, students, guardians, they know what they consider good schools and bad schools. And I know this because I was a CPS social worker, and many times families would sit with me and tell me, well, I don't want them to go to that school. That's a bad school. And you would try to reframe the narrative, but the truth is 
that once a school gets a reputation, the neighborhood school, even though it's trying to turn itself around and, and attract more students and have more fundraising, there's a narrative that if it's bad, then they're going to try to avoid it at all costs. Thanks for your call. Uh, let's squeeze in one last caller. Here's Ida in Little Village. Hi. I wanted to know why is it there's such a lack of funding for neighborhood schools? Like, is it because owners in the neighborhood, or rather renters in the neighborhood, are not seeing their money being distributed equally? Or is it because higher income neighborhoods have more owners? I'm a bit confused on all that. Thanks for your call. Nate, do you have a, a brief response on funding? Yeah. For- yeah. So uh, I'm going to combine a response to a couple of things. So, so number one, um, we absolutely underfund our public schools here in Chicago. Absolutely. We're talking 20000 fewer dollars per year than the wealthiest towns and cities outside of Chicago. And so that's a problem from base. But when you are in a school that's serving predominantly low-income students, there are a lot more resources you need due to the trauma those kids have experienced due to the impacts of racism, segregation on our schools, right? And so you're diverting resources away from things like enrichment, and you're diverting it towards things like more social workers, more security, feeding kids, providing resources to families, right? And so it's not so much about not getting the money, it's having more need and more priority and getting the same amount of dollars per kid that all the other schools get. Well, we've got to end it there. I, I, I feel like we need a part two because this, this was Can we do that, a Dr. fantastic yeah. conversation. I mean, Lisa brings up the whole good schools, bad schools thing. I wanted to jump more into that, but we, we're out of time and we'll, we'll, we'll certainly try to bring you back. That's Nate Petrini, former CPS principal and teacher and executive director of the nonprofit High Jump. Thanks for joining us, Nate. Well, that's it for today's Reset. For more of our interviews, subscribe to this podcast. And please, give us a rating. It helps other listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.